80,000 downloads. You what? I know. It's wild, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, it is. And as ever, we cannot take it in because as as many of you have listened already and given us so much lovely feedback, we talked about imposter syndrome last time. So, yes, thank you very much. Still just sliding right off our backs this end. It was a good episode, though. I'm glad we did that one. That's probably the thing I struggle with the most. Imposter syndrome, identity, figuring out who I am and all the rest of it. So... Like, being honest and upfront has helped me. That's fantastic. Getting that episode done and getting it out there. It's just like, right, well, now I can just start living a little bit more authentically. A hundred percent. And also, yeah, we're trying. We see our imposter syndrome. We are are trying to celebrate the wins a bit more. Yes. (laughs) When there's time. Um, (laughs) But... uh, This week, we have a very, very, very special guest. We were so excited to be approached and introduced to this wonderful lady, Jenny Okolo. So Jenny, let me read a little bit here. Occupational therapist and SASA founder. Jenny is a recent TEDx speaker. Hurts a little bit. (laughs) Who sits within the mental health and well-being space and is also a lead psychiatric occupational therapist working within the NHS. She has made it her mission to educate and encourage others as explored through social activism. Jenny's area of expertise is neurodiversity and we just absolutely loved speaking to Jenny yeah. and... Hello from the other side. <laughs> oh, God. She's our first non-ADHDer. So yeah. like it's somebody from the other side that's giving... Neurotypical NHS lady. Yeah. And, and we've joined forces to bring you this lovely, lovely chat. Like obviously there's things uh, sort of on reflection there are things I wish I'd said as you do yeah um so we don't necessarily agree with everything because we're looking at it from two different angles but the point being that's what we need to do to make progress is to is to understand it from both sides and the main point is we do very much agree with her message of compassion yeah and that is incredible that's what we're always banging on about and it was just so so wonderful to speak to jenny and to understand it from the other side and yeah she's just an absolute ledge i wish we could talk to her every week well we can't but (laughs) enjoy thank you jenny ADHDS females, ADHDAF, ADHDS females, the podcast. Hi, I'm Dawn. Hi, I'm Laura. And, and we, we are ADHDAF. Seriously. We are two neurodivergent neighbours who moved to the same street at the same time at the same age, with the same undiagnosed disability. What are the chances? Since discovering the enormous impact ADHD has had on our lives and the horrifying numbers of missing undiagnosed females, it has become our mission to make some serious noise. We want to use our voices to raise awareness, break the stigma and share our experiences in the hope that they help others. So join us for a chat, or as it's called up here in Aberdeen, a blether. Trigger warning, we will be covering some really sensitive topics, so please do have a read of the description of each episode before listening. It's important to note that we are not medical professionals, we're not therapists or coaches, we're not qualified to offer advice or support. What we will do is share our experiences alongside resources and information from professionals. We will talk over each other (laughs) and we will go off topic 
and forget the point mid-sentence. <laughs> we are both assigned female at birth, which means that we can only speak from the experience of life as a fab people. However, ADHDAF is an inclusive space. Whatever your gender, you are very welcome here. Yes, you are. ADHDS females. ADHDAF. Jenny, yeah. thank you so, so much for coming to speak to us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Not at all. So will you tell our listeners your name and age and a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jenny Okolo. I am 26 years old, soon to be 27, actually. <laughs> um, what? What places? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, and by trade, I'm an occupational therapist. I specifically specialize in mental health. Um, occupational therapists, there's always this thing about, you know, what do we do? We're not occupational health, but rather we work mainly in clinical settings, supporting people with gaining back their independence. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in a physical setting, maybe somebody who's had an accident, um, you know, supporting them in getting back to their daily activities or in mental health as well. Again, if somebody has been diagnosed with a mental health condition, we support them in that sense. Um, so I've, I've been qualified for about five years now. Um, I started quite early and, you know, I went straight into mental health, specifically forensic mental health, Mm -hmm. um, which basically means that, um, you know, I work with people who have various mental health conditions, but also on top of that, have a criminal background as well. Um, So that's that means liaising a lot with Ministry of Justice, probation, Mm -hmm. sometimes prisons as well, which is where I was working too. So again, it's quite challenging, but, you know, I always like a challenge and I think it's great that, we'll, you know, healthcare, mental health specifically is able to integrate really well in criminal justice too. So yeah. that's basically what I do um, as my profession. And then on the side as well, I say on the side, but it's becoming like part of, you know, what I do on a almost weekly basis is, you know, doing sort of well-being workshops, um, speaking on podcasts like this and promoting the role of um, occupational therapy or just my role as a health professional. And, um, you know, more recently now, and I think it's because, you know, I've kind of gone into a setting, which is uh, the prison setting, where there's a lot of neurodivergent um, clients that I work with. So, again, just being able to bring a different perspective on that which I'm sure we'll talk about um, yeah yeah. absolutely well congratulations (laughs) on your TED talk that's super exciting when did that happen I'm just going to move this because I'm worried it's closer to me and I'm always shouting anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um it feels like such a long I don't know when did it happen oh in June was it June or July June of this no 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 that's that's not true it was in August (laughs) lies (laughs) lies oh my goodness you know what I think the build-up towards, you know, when I was doing, um, when I did the TEDx, so it was like a couple of months beforehand and just afterwards, it just seems like such a blur. I bet. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was just an amazing experience. It was, you know, something I, I always sort of dream, dreamt of doing a TED Talk, but I never knew I would do it within the NHS. So yeah, um, yeah it was really great. And um, again, my topic was on neurodiversity and empathy as well. So that's amazing. We tried to watch it and we couldn't find it, but that's probably because I'm just being like rubbish at, at technology. But we saw a bit and you were talking about um, it was like you'd said about mental health or something. So it sort of cut in and then you said 
you know, keep your hand up if you would still speak to them if if they'd been to prison or some, something along those lines. And we were like, we like this girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it should be out like I think end of the month or, or beginning of October. You know, they do all this editing stuff before they put up on YouTube. Yeah. So definitely share that. But yeah, like, you know, I wanted the introduction to be to be mirrored in terms of like what real life is like yes you know put your hand up if you believe you have empathy and most people do believe they have empathy mm-hmm. um but of course when you put it into context of what I was talking about having empathy towards somebody who's committed a crime yeah, yeah. who's committed a crime but then also might have a neurodevelopmental disorder mm-hmm. it kind of plays in with your sort of most people their moral compass in terms of yeah. yes I do have that empathy but then on the other hand this person's committed a crime so I wanted to sort of gauge and get the audience to sort of think about that um, as well because that's what I think about on a daily basis yeah yeah that's fantastic that's so so interesting I tried to get a TEDx didn't I I tried to get one here in Aberdeen and they they turned me down and I was devoted (laughs) no you were very close I was close but they they said I didn't take the final cut um but I think it's quite interesting like because when I looked at who was speaking this time, I'm going off piece because I always do. The um the girl, there was a girl who had it who who did get picked who was autistic. Yeah. And I wondered if it was just a bit like they'd sort of tick the new <laughs> divergent box. Oh. I think that's sort of my fear is like with yeah. the idea that a lot of us, you know, a lot of people that are in prison or people that are on the streets or teenage mothers or all of this, you know, and, and being a divergent, being ADHD. More yeah. potentially more specifically if we're kind of like the dangerous people do you know what I mean yeah 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 no absolutely I think this time what they wanted to do from what you know speaking to the curators mm. they you know when I put in my application um I think it was quite sort of unique in a sense of you know like I said I was talking about empathy but and also given a different perspective in a context of crime criminal activity yeah. context of you know um just what the how the media portrays certain people and just the the potential path that one can go through if they are not diagnosed on if they are misdiagnosed um you know I spoke a lot about me as a clinician when I get referrals there's a lot of query ADHD query LD there's nothing really concrete in place or you don't get anything and when I meet um you know my particular patient I'm like well they they are displaying some of the traits but unfortunately because this wasn't picked up in their younger years Mm. um there are no reports there are no you know all these things that would you know create that formulation for a formal diagnosis isn't there so it's really difficult so that's sort of what I wanted to highlight and I think this TED talk was not necessarily about you know solving problems all that kind of stuff more about highlighting the issues especially unique but still common areas as well that people other people can relate to whether you are you know if you do have a neurodevelopmental condition or if you're a clinician on the other side or if you're just sort of interested in this sort of field and wanting to know more about it Mm, that's fantastic sorry we can say something well no I was just going to say it kind of leads us into where we're going with the questions and that what are some of the signs that you see that could cause you to suspect that a patient has ADHD so um really these are the more common signs that you would see in terms of like 
determining whether somebody should be referred or not. So, you know, fidgeting a lot, not being able to concentrate in, in any of our sessions. So I do a lot of group work mm-hmm. and activities, whether that's on a one-to-one or within a group. And, you know, if they're not able to sort of sustain or still, you know, just be in that whole session, doesn't, you know, I don't sort of base on, oh, this person's fidgeting, they must have any issue. No, yeah. it's, it's definitely, you know, in context of, you know, other areas, what other clinicians have observed, if I am able to get um, collateral information from previous mental health services or, uh, you know, family and things like that, you know, concentration levels. So we do a lot of cognitive assessments, mm-hmm. um, you know, which are, you know, based on, for us, occupational therapists, activities of daily living. So whether they're able to follow through tasks, I might get them to, I don't know, cook a simple meal um, yeah. with a couple of instructions. And if they're not able to sort of stay on track and they're just finding it really difficult. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, actually, I do get service users who actually come up to me and say, oh, I, miss, I think I might have ADHD. Yeah. And they start listing out their own symptoms. I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, kind of. So it's not that he, they've done the job for me, but it's they've kind of the fact that they're able to highlight and identify the areas that they're struggling in. Um, I think it's it's really good, it's but then so good. sad at the same time because it's you know it's things that they know that they are struggling with, but for whatever reason they've not been able to access that help and support. Yeah. So, and then you have like the quote unquote not so obvious. Um, symptoms and traits um, and those are mostly associated with those who might be high functioning you mm-hmm. know they look like they're good at masking well. <laughs> yeah, good at masking basically yeah. and they look like they're you know they're thriving but again because they're having to mask some of their symptoms they're struggling internally yeah. um, and it's only gonna it can only last so much until they sort of combust yeah um, so <laughs> there's a combination of you know traits and it's it's difficult you know ADHD especially is quite difficult to to diagnose because there are a lot of um factors to consider whether that's psychology sociology um you know just your overall holistic person um that you're sort of trying to assess so it, it is quite difficult and I do understand you know why it takes so long to get a diagnosis but I think it's just from what I found on the other side Mm. it's it's such a long journey like even if I did refer somebody like the assessments that I have to do the assessments that maybe my I don't know maybe my speech and language um therapist colleague has to do depending on you know what they're saying there's so many hoops to go through especially in adulthood it's really difficult yeah Um, but um yeah those are some of the symptoms well, I think the first thing that came to my mind then was like, we're always talking about comorbidities, right? So for example, alcoholism, addiction, eating disorders, um, OCD, you know, you name them. Like, do you think that there's any way, because that's one of the things that we think about is like, is there no way that if somebody was coming forward with a mental health problem, and obviously I am specifically asking you this because I'm interested. So it is like from your perspective, like if if you can if somebody comes in and says that they have an eating disorder or addiction or whatever, do you think it would be reasonable to potentially consider that that mental health problem could potentially just be a comorbidity of, of being neurodivergent, of having ADHD, and that that in itself could potentially warrant screening somebody for ADHD? 
because that's um, what we feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. both been misdiagnosed or, or, you know, it's gone unnoticed or not the root cause. So the depression that I had was because of the ADHD and the bulimia that I suffered was, you know, it's very common in, in women with ADHD and things like that. And I've spent my life being treated for those things, whereas actually it turns out they're comorbidities of ADHD. And so I think that's one of our hopes is like, could you just see it? you know anyone that's coming in with mental health problems potentially that could be a sign you know yeah um I think again coming from the clinician's yeah point of view I will from my point of view I would say yeah it's difficult because um you know like I said it's ADHD it's it's a neurodevelopmental disorder right yeah and like you know like I said there's so many traits so many symptoms and unfortunately it's very difficult to sort of assess just by one or two you know symptoms that somebody might be presenting to actually say oh this is this requires screening for an ADHD assessment Mm. and hence why um the route that it goes normally a a mental health somebody from a mental health team will have to do a screening could be an OT could be a nurse Mm. uh, and then they have to refer to a psychiatrist Mm. to then do the formal um diagnostic testing so there's so many hoops that one has to go through. So I think that the key thing though is what I would be looking at is just how consistent is it and how how is it impacting? How yeah, how severely everyday yeah. everyday living, yeah. right? Yeah. This person comes to me once or twice and you know, I might not automatically think it's ADHD or it's LD or it's anything. You mm-hmm. know, I'll still sort of try and formulate yeah. um who this person is, what is it that they're struggling with. However, if it comes becomes a more consistent thing then I might start sort of branching out into you know okay let's look into this area mm, yeah do they fit the criteria for yeah condition and at the end of the day all I can do as a clinician because I'm not a psychiatrist yes is screen I can only yeah. screen and collect yeah. as much information as I can yeah and then refer on to the psychiatrist if if needed now because ADHD especially is presented in so many different ways like I said yeah. you put them lower functioning and more higher functioning especially for those who are higher functioning who may be masking their symptoms and sometimes yeah. people mask their symptoms they don't even know that they're masking it because oh, they if they don't even know that they're masking their symptoms sometimes it's difficult for you know the clinician to even know that they're yeah they're masking it, right yeah. so with things like this it takes it takes a while and it takes a lot of I think groundwork Hmm. To try and understand again is it consistent is it debilitating in there in this person's life and yeah I think it sort of goes both ways in terms of is that person able to articulate what yeah. their traits are and I think that sort of leads back into education hmm. um and I can say even some of my my friends who have just you know in their late 20s or sometimes even 30s have been diagnosed at a later stage well, like, well, I didn't have the language for it. Yeah. I oh, no, 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 yeah. I didn't know how to tell my, um, you know, my doctor or my nurse that this is these, this is what I was struggling with, you know? So I think there's so many different parts of the puzzle that's sort of like floating in the air that for some yeah. reason, we're not able to link it up together because unfortunately, mental health conditions they're they're much harder to diagnose than physical health conditions where it's just presented right in front of you yeah yeah um, I think in an ideal world yes if we had like you know a list and it, it would be a long list because again yeah. 
there's just so many if we had a list and we could be like okay yeah this person's presenting tick, tick, tick. it doesn't mean yeah. that they have it but at least it warrants a, a yeah you know yeah. some sort of assessment yeah um, that's how it would be in my ideal work but unfortunately it's just it's it is quite difficult to oh god completely completely I mean with it being you know you can only do your bit it has to go to this person has to go to you know the how the system works I think that that's the thing that's hardest is if you've got people, like you said, that can identify, that can say this is or even, you know, can prove people that do have school reports or whatever else. It being so long, like is then do you think in an ideal world, if you could if you could wave a magic wand, is there any way that it could not be a psychiatrist of which there are not that many and the access to is so hard? Do you think that it is plausible in any way that we could have a different system, that it could work differently? Or it has possibly, to be. I think, um, you know, possibly in terms of, I mean, the reason why, let's say the the GP might refer you to an ADHD specialist because they're specialists in that area. Yeah. Um, I guess the the great thing is, you know, let's say for myself, like as an occupational therapist, you get lots of training. Um, so, for example, I'm doing the sensory integration training, which again can support either initial assessment or collateral information for somebody who's being referred for an ADHD mm. um, assessment. So I think what could sort of like speed up the process, but also allow more health professionals access to um, be more involved in that yes. process so that there's, you know, less delay is offering training, specialist training yeah. um, in these conditions to people like, you know, myself who are, yeah capable if we you know if we've got an interest in it more than capable of being trained up yeah uh, and doing that groundwork so that there's enough information to, to speed it yeah. up and go to the specialist or the psychiatrist because at the moment again the waiting times are ridiculous like if yeah. you go to the NHS way and most people like the friends I just mentioned they done it privately yeah exactly and they yeah. have to pay a lot of money for that which isn't fair no you know um, so the services are existent, but it's just it's such a long waiting list and not enough clinical staff are trained in this. Yeah, area. because it's, it's such a shame, isn't it? Because it's it's both a privilege and a postcode lottery. Yeah, That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think at the moment, a lot of assessments are being done for, you know, younger children. So those like in primary school, nursery even, yeah. um, secondary school time. So I think that's where most of the assessments are, or most of the focus, I would say, is is, is going to. That's good though, isn't and it? And adults, you know, adults with ADHD um, are often sort of misdiagnosed or ignored, for example. So even though I would say that, I, I'll sort of caveat from that. So even though there is more focus in the younger years, there is still such a a drought of assessments that are happening mm. um and again because it's it's such a specialist sort of assessment to do and also you know when you know if you're looking at children for example a lot of them can be hyperactive you know they start playing and, and a lot of this can be missed along the way unless I don't know you like you, you know mentioned it's a postcode lottery unless you know someone a teacher or someone who's sort of well educated no, in that yeah on that and be like oh actually let's let's discuss that um and I would even say that especially I would say uh, amongst the, the black and ethnic minority groups mm. that's even much harder because again um certain behaviors whether that's you know being very hyper- hyperactive might be misinterpreted as being aggressive yeah you know? 
Um, and again, that's what I spoke about in my in my TED talk around, you know, having empathy for for those who are in the criminal justice system. A lot of my guys that I work with, mm. yes, they've committed a crime, but they've always sort of had behavioral problems even in school, but it wasn't picked up as anything but clinical. It was just sort of behavioral, this person's, yes. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, had, had they got that help, they, they might not be where they are. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, even if you do get the diagnosis at adult age, a lot of this sort of learned behavior or behavior that, you know, is developed through through masking in your own way. Sometimes it's hard to undo that at Gosh, completely. And and the weight of what you're carrying, like even this idea of like, you know, okay, you know, carrying around, dragging the horse around, like I'm an awful person, I'm rubbish, I'm not going to do a good job or I'm I'm a failure. Like even when you go, oh, thank God for that, actually, I I was trying and it wasn't my fault, those things. How do you still undo all of that? You know, it's it's like reshaping your whole identity and way that you view yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably why, like, it's, quote unquote easier when you're diagnosed and you're you know given the, the treatment at a younger age yeah because like you said you've just got so many different areas like you know you've got people who you know are are in work and they've struggled so much with maybe you know keeping the deadlines and then all of a sudden yes they've got the diagnosis for our they know they understand what's happening but it's like well how how do I continue then like how you yeah. know it's also that sort of I, I don't know if it's resentment or anger Oh, all of the above yeah you know and you know towards the system maybe towards themselves in a way like you know of had I known earlier yeah maybe Mm -hmm. my life might have been different maybe I might not blame myself more you know those type of things so it's just the the pathway at the moment is is not great I will say yeah it's not great in a sense of you know we know that there's thousands thousands of people who are undiagnosed who don't even know that they have it who are struggling And there's even more people, um, if not the same, who do know or have an inkling that they might have it, who might self-diagnose themselves. Mm. But for whatever reasons, whether that's to do with finances, long waiting lists, not having access, unable to get the right resources and assessment done. Um, And oftentimes, especially like, you know, in workplaces, uh, which I think has to change um, just because of how difficult it is to get a diagnosis. Yeah. You know, oftentimes I hear that they rely on getting a report, an official report to say, oh, yeah, you do have ADHD. Well, it's it's very difficult to get that. You're not going to be able to get that. Or can, or can you wait six years? Yeah. <laughs> like- I, do, I do understand that even from a, I guess there's sort of pockets of, you know, difficulties from, the the service user side and then also from the clinician side where we're we're seeing the problem but I guess like I mentioned before having more training in these specialist areas I think will definitely help close the gaps a little bit more and I guess I guess that's it as well as you know we talk about it a lot it's just like you know like a blanket understanding we were speaking to somebody earlier that was like you know oh maybe it isn't real and blah 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 blah. and Mm. you know it's, it's it's that whole idea of like if we could just have a it not be so opinion based in terms of just its existence like of course you know each individual case is going to have to be judged but like in terms of like whether ADHD is real like surely that just needs to go away <laughs> like that's enough of that <laughs> absolutely and I think I don't know if you you know probably notice I said it's a neurodevelopmental condition yeah so I'm not sure 
because in my eyes it's a clinical condition yeah. it's not just oh I've got ADHD it's just no it's actually a clinical condition the same way yeah. schizophrenia is a clinical condition um so I just I make sure especially when I'm you know talking to people about it that I'm ensure people understand that yeah learning disability or you know all these you know different neurodiverse um conditions mm. are neurodevelopmental it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's to do with the brain it's it's something that you know it, it can't be helped like treat it as you would any other condition and yeah, I think with compassion like, exactly like, compassion like, you right, like you say absolutely and like you rightly said like I think that would definitely the more people know that that would definitely sort of solidify the seriousness of it and yeah. I can't believe I'm even saying it because it's a condition but yeah a lot of people don't take it serious they they That's still think oh well you, you can get over it or you're just being lazy yeah or, you know, all these different stereotypes um, do you know what it's funny because you just reminded me like when I first sort of found out about it like you know looking into it and oh my gosh you know I think that sounds like me I remember being relieved in an instant and then in the next one I was like oh god why does it have to be something that's debatable that I have to fight for people that some people are just going to not believe it exists full stop yeah like why, why does it have to be that one because <laughs> that's hard enough to take to then be like there are people out there who think that it's a joke you know it's awful and if and if we did have that blanket understanding like you say in places you know in workplaces with enough people understanding about it the compassion is there and then even to have that compassion, the knock-on effect on people's mental health is enormous because people aren't going to be so ashamed or carrying all this this weight and masking that they get so depressed in the first yeah. place. Like even just that understanding would make such a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, um, more education around it, and you know, less belittling people. Yeah, just because it's not visible or because it's it doesn't fit a certain description of what you would classify as a clinical condition yeah you know? so and I and I think even before I whilst I was in training I I'll be honest I was quite confused about what is yeah. ADHD you know the yeah. uh, the classic traits that you think about is oh somebody who's hyper somebody who's like blah 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 yeah but then see during my training because I had the privilege of being taught what it actually is in a clinical yes. sense um it made me understand no that actually first of all there's different traits and also like you know there's you can be on different ends of the spectrum and all that kind of stuff yeah. but I think the way it's presented to the to the public to you know just people in general has to be in my opinion come from a more clinical perspective yeah. yes that's what it is yeah like in from my opinion so and I think that would definitely you know help people understand that yes you know again like you said it's you know something that people deal with at different stages and also like it will help people who have been misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for such a long period of time especially in the adulthood um not feel so ashamed and not feel so like you know oh you know I don't want to bother anyone is there any point of me getting this um yeah yeah any point if you've got something you've got something yeah 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 treatment whether that's through some people have medication some people have talking therapy like it you know it depends um you should you should have access to it you should have the option I think what are some of the biggest challenges for people dealing with late diagnosis oh I think the mental health impact um low Mm self-esteem I meet with a lot of you know my population is mainly 
it's guys, uh, you know, I work with um, male in a male prison um, who are like, you know, there's there's no point. I, even if I did have it, like, what's what's the point? I can't do this. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the quality of life is very poor. I think for for a lot of people, especially if you know, in the context of maybe not having a good support network, you know, maybe not being able to get the job that they want, being in in the criminal justice system, I think it definitely has a negative knock-on effect on how they view themselves as a person. Um, And then also, I think, you know, like I already said, even if they did get the diagnosis, a lot of people deal with that sort of resentment of, oh, well, how do I undo all these behaviours, you know, or all these ways that I've been, you know, masking just to try and, you know, cope with the, you know, the pressures of just being a neurodivergent in the Mm -hmm. workplace, society in general, you know? Mm-hmm. um and I think as well like it's just it's almost like feeling like the forgotten ones and again these are just sort of quotes that I get from the people that yeah. I work with. like they feel like the forgotten ones like okay I you know I have this but does it mean that like, it's not a serious condition because I've not been you know diagnosed yeah. in time um and especially for women I would say who um, they have a higher proportion of people who aren't diagnosed or who are misdiagnosed. Um, again, because of you know how society views you know even young girls, I would say yeah. um, in terms of the, the the list of traits that they have for ADHD. Sometimes you know women might not fit that particular criteria because of how they present. So I think it, it has it's, it's very challenging, I would say, and it can definitely impact people in just their daily activities of life, work, family. Yeah friendships in, yeah in all aspects across the board because also like you say it's self-worth is knocked and that's you that's what you're putting out into the world isn't it yeah. so can I just just go back so I just thought it was really interesting you were saying like a lot of the people that you work with are men yes and obviously we've got this whole idea about you know the stereotype being boys and so just just because I I, did, I didn't know if I missed that but like do you feel that even though they were boys, the people that you're working with, it was missed in because of race. Is that what you think is the contributing factor? Because if it is naughty little boys, and that's what we're all saying, and they were naughty little boys, then why? Why? Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think it's not it's not a you know one size fits all. Like yes, you will get you know some people who are some children. I would say who yes, they are naughty when they're younger, and yeah, you know it, it, it just comes with the age. But, you know, the reason why I said that is because there there is, and even research shows that there's a high proportion of individuals, especially in the criminal justice system, who um, have neurodevelopmental conditions such as, you know, LD, ADHD, um, and so forth, who, A, haven't had the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you look at some of the, the traits and the sy- symptoms that they might have presented when they were younger, so let's say, you know, being hyperactive and... <clears throat> then being you know labeled as um destructive and mm-hmm. you know aggressive and even if you look at some of let's say the clients that I have which maybe are young offenders we get from 18 upwards who you know clearly there are yes behavioral problems but yeah. then we've had we've had to refer a lot of people for you know ADOS assessment so it's part of um the um autism spectrum disorder um mm-hmm. diagnostic process Um, And again, to the outside world, they are deemed as sort of being aggressive, but there is more to it. Um, And I would say in the same way as somebody who might have schizophrenia, Mm. 
they might present in a more aggressive way or in a more you know passive way whichever way it is um yeah. so it's not to say that those who present in a certain way might you know if it's down to race or not but it definitely contributes you know yeah. there is you know fact in the same way that you know like I said women are less likely to be diagnosed yeah um it doesn't mean that's the the, the whole reason but it, no just, it plays a part I would say yeah um, yeah yeah so from your perspective what changes for people after diagnosis definitely um you know improved functioning um you know, a lot of people have said that they're, you know, able to, I don't know, you know, just function it, even as, as simple as responding to messages, yeah, you know, um, or being able to, you know, work well, or I would say even in terms of employees being very understanding of what their needs are to make certain adaptations um and just the overall self-esteem as well yeah. I'd say definitely um does improve do you think it lends to more empathy and compassion towards especially people that are you know in the criminal justice system do you think it leads them to be more understanding when they find out that someone's had this late diagnosis absolutely mm-hmm. um at the moment it's it's not a major factor you know I'm just thinking in terms of like court processes before they come o- over to us it's definitely something that's being considered in in court. I'd say in my current yeah. prison, we've actually hired a neurodiversity lead. Now, this is huge. I would say in terms yeah. of because they're able to sort of recognise that, hey, we have a huge proportion of people who a might be, you know, misdiagnosed, undiagnosed, or diagnosed, mm-hmm. and um, it's affecting how they're able to function even in the prison environment. Um, so I think it's really great and it's positive that institutions like the prison, um, you know, s- schools and whatnot are putting more focus on areas like this and supporting people who uh, have different needs um, and especially ADHD. So I think worldwide, or I say worldwide, but at least in the places that I've worked in, yeah. um, there's definitely more empathy, I can never say that word, emphasis empathy. on ensuring that we, um, you know, make our services that we're providing as inclusive as possible yeah. um, and you know even like we started working on a sensory room um communication packs and this is within the prison yeah. and usually, you know the general perspective of a prison isn't that great because of how the media portrays it but yeah. the work that's being done inside I think is absolutely you know it's great now like there have been issues and there have been sort of challenges in terms of us as clinicians getting across our message and trying to change up the re- regime because it is a sort of old-fashioned way mm-hmm. of working for a lot of them but again I think because they're able to see that you know providing resources um, for this client group can also reduce crime it can reduce the risk yeah. even within the prison um, it can definitely help the way that the regime is run it's definitely helped I think especially the officers just have more empathy towards the people yes. that you're working with have more empathy towards the situation and it's not to say that the crime that was committed isn't wrong yeah or you know and that kind of stuff but it, it's more about understanding the person as a whole and having that holistic point of view yeah um, and I think if we were all to have that sort of same viewpoint in terms of just having more empathy just wanting to understand yeah. um we definitely go a long way with that 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's the point, isn't it? It's like rehabilitation and like, you know, how is somebody going to, you know, learn? I'm trying to find the right words, which I don't have, but like, you know, be able to to change, to not re that's what's the word. How is somebody <laughs> going to get to that place if they're not supported enough to, to be able to, to change and, and to learn and to grow? And also with regards to self-worth, like, so like you say that, what is it worth? Like, why would you bother? You know, and th- unless you, you do, you are supported in some ways and there is empathy for you, then, then why would you, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I remember we were working with, um, I was working with a young boy, uh, you know, 18 years old. So he was in adult prison mm. and, you know, he has ADHD. He has a stutter as well. And I worked alongside with the speech and language therapist to create a communication pack uh, with his consent um so he consented for us to share that with the wing officers that he was on because what tend to what tended to happen tended tended to happen I think yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, was that he would get into lots of altercations with the officers mm. um and he would sort of be pacing up and down he would keep going like this like punching his own hand that's aggressive that right. seems that, that aggressive but actually yeah. we we're able to sort of talk to him and you know try and figure out what is going on and you know, we're able to sort of understand that he does this to get the words out. Yeah, yes. that's his frustration. It's his frustration, right? So we put that inside the communication pack. We put that, you know, yes, he might sort of stand up and sort of walk up and down, but it's not necessarily because he's angry, but he's just trying he, to communicate. Yeah. Trying to yeah. communicate. And the yeah. more that you know, sort of put all these restrictive actions in place, it gets him all worked up. Yeah. So we shared that with um the, the wing officers, and again, they they were quite shocked because they thought, oh, wow, we just thought he just didn't want to listen or, yeah. you know, he was just like the the rest. And, you know, that sort of toxic mentality that a lot of them have. Uh, and I thought that was just such a great piece of work because, again, it just yeah. sort of showed the bridge between us as clinicians and the prison service or, you know, just, you know, to support that person in need. It's just uh, incredible. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Incredible, what a little bit of understanding can do. Completely, because like, yeah. it's because it, you know it's reframing. It really does reframe everything. It really does because if you, if you're yeah. coming in, I mean, we are all different. You know, whatever kind of brain you have, we're not all looking at things the same way, and there are always going to be miscommunications. But if you can actually like frame that and and give those guards like you said a, a different lens to view those actions changes everything it completely Absolutely. changes everything yeah and like you know we're hearing some you know when we get referrals we're hearing some of you know the non-clinicians so let's say the officer or even governor saying oh I think this person might need a a functional assessment or you know a communication mm. pack whether they're using it in the wrong context or not, I'm just yeah. grateful that they're actually yeah. okay. Something is happening here, yeah. and we need we need you guys as help. That's so I, I think that's yeah, that's great. So it's it's a positive. That's, that's really absolutely. Positive. So if you could implement change in the diagnosis process, what would it be? Um, definitely offer more training yeah. um, to um, all clinicians, and uh, just given that as an option. Um, to train up in a specialist field so that again that can sort of close the gap uh, of you know how people get their diagnosis especially in an initial screening process Um, I think a lot of health professionals are more than capable of doing a screening process in in that aspect 
as you know for example occupational therapists like myself um you know if you were to do a sensory assessment you have to be trained in that so why not for an ADHD um specific assessment Um, and I think that can definitely help again like I said close the gap and also inform other clinicians because as much as you know ADHD might be you know, taught in certain modules and things, it's still a specialist field. Yeah. Um, so, and I think a lot of health professionals still aren't really clued up on what ADHD specifically is and, you know, what is the, the, the functions of it and, you know, the different traits and treatments and things like that. So I think there's a lot of gap in knowledge, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I, I think has definitely contributed hugely to why a lot of people aren't receiving a diagnosis yeah. or being referred. So yeah, I'll, I'll say that is the, the main thing. And then I would also say in terms of education and just providing that literacy for people um, who are experiencing or might feel that they are experiencing certain traits, how to be able to articulate that in a way to their health provider, to their GP, yeah. um, and not feeling sort of scared and sort of coming to them with like, confidence you know in 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 what they're saying so and I think as well like especially not just clinicians but like teachers for example or workplace or friends or whoever just having that knowledge that educational knowledge of what that condition is um so that they can support people um also other people can support them as well as much as they can I think that's it you know we talk a lot with the boys at ADHD adult UK the charity and uh, one of the stats they give is one in 40 mm-hmm. adults has ADHD and yeah. in which case like we all know people yes. you know we're all you know that this is everywhere it's this isn't a small thing it's a really really big thing and the different ways that it impacts it really lends to to what you're talking about with this empathy is that you know the people that you are judging for not for always being late for forgetting your birthday all these little tiny things that person who you think oh you know they're a bit of a no hoper or a waste of space or you know whatever you're thinking about that person yeah looking at those numbers it's highly likely (laughs) that those people yeah you know yeah and it just it just means being more compassionate it doesn't mean like you know you've got a diagnosis oh yeah I think you might have ADHD no not doing that but it's just more about having compassion about the just the possibilities that this yes. just might not be their fault. Exactly. Just as simple yeah. as that. It just might not be their fault. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, if you create that safe space for that person and yourself, if you, you know, if you feel like it's the right space to do so, then yes, you could sort of suggest and you could discuss if they're open to talk about some of their struggles and things like that. Um, and sort of open up that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so blah, 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 tell us some positives. So positive sides of ADHD, if you feel there are any. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think so, especially in terms of problem solving, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've got a lot of people, again, who are just so superb at that. Like they're just able to problem solve, able to sort of like, you know, whether it's multitasking or do, doing so many things at the same time. Um, I think ADHD as well in terms of like communicating and, you know, some people they're able to sort of, you know, talk to people and just be very more free with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it can definitely have different um, positive outcomes of, you know, the, you know, of ADHD. I think it, you know, it sort of depends on, again, having that safe space, I would say that that's what makes it a positive um, experience for the person and if they're able to sort of 
be themselves even if they do have ADHD I don't what I don't want and what I you know I tell people who have been diagnosed or some of my clients is it doesn't just because you have the ADHD doesn't mean it's a it's a bad thing right so we can work on ways on how you can sort of function in society as much as you can and have an independent sort of life and partake in all the activities that are meaningful to you yeah Um, but what it does depend on is having that space to do so so for example I mentioned the workplace there's so many initiatives that I've you know been seen flying around to support people um, who are neurodiverse and they're able to do the job sometimes even better than other people because they've been the the environment has been created and has been adapted to suit their needs so the same way I would say in friendships and the same way I'll say maybe in school in prison like what's happening now Mm -hmm. um so there's definitely positive outcomes that can come from you know just receiving that diagnosis and just allowing that person to just be free be themselves without the fear of you know, oh, do I have to have I put my mask on or no? I'm a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Um, so where are we? So, as a the health professional, one. you've spoken about approaching neurodiversion, sorry, neurodivergent patients with empathy. What does that actually look like? What that looks like is just not judging. So mm-hmm. I spoke about in my talk, I spoke about if you see somebody who's maybe acting out of the norm um, or you know displaying some traits um, like I mentioned before instead of going with that initial thought which sometimes can be sort of built because of how society is maybe through social media and whatnot just having that opportunity to just think about okay is this more than what meets the eye you know if somebody's displaying in this way and if it's becoming a consistent thing um, being more understanding you know um again creating that safe space for for the person to sort of open up to you and for you to ask questions that you know might be helpful and then especially like when you look in you know my settings when I look at criminals who have committed offenses again like I said taken away from the crime that has actually been committed but actually the behaviors that maybe led up to that point mm-hmm. for me when I look at a case study I don't necessarily just look at the crime that has been committed I also look up what was that person's social yeah what the environmental issues around them looking at that person from a holistic point of view um and that has enabled me to sort of think of things from different perspectives and I I can definitely say again when I was younger I didn't have that I had a very narrow view of what for example a criminal is like yeah they chose this life it's all their fault For some people, yes, it might be. But in order not to generalize, I think you definitely have to have empathy. Not everybody's pathway is the same. You know, how people present, it's totally depending on different factors. So empathy is just about wanting to understand, wanting to see their point of view, seeing another person's point of view apart from yours. Um, And I think that can definitely open up and start conversations. So lovely. We love you, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) You're our first non-ADHD guest. Oh my gosh, wow, nice. So you definitely got a different perspective then. (laughs) It's so great to get a perspective from someone that isn't, you know, doesn't 
identify as ADHD, ADHD themselves. So it's, yeah, it's been really nice speaking to you. Yeah, we're so grateful for you coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, Do you feel like you've said everything you want to say? Is there anything else that we might not have covered that you want to add or anything you want to, you know, add more to? I think the main thing, um, and I think I've sort of mentioned it in different pockets, is that I definitely want to reiterate that ADHD is a neurodevelopmental condition. And I want people to, that that's one of the takeaways, you know, with empathy as well for people to take away from that. Um, because just from some of the feedback and even from speaking to my patients, they feel like there's no point of having this diagnosis. What does it do for them? Like it's, it's, it's not something that's being taken seriously. It is a serious condition in terms of like, it's a clinical condition. So I definitely want, especially like those who have ADHD or those who are curious about it, or just those who are wanting to learn more, like it's, it is a specialist area. Um, And, you know, like I said, I hope that more people are trained in this area so that again, we can get more assessments out and things like that. But um, Yeah. yeah, I think that was definitely one of the main things I wanted to highlight. That's brilliant. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. Thank I'm like, come you. back. Come on, everyone. Thank you so much. On your, on your TEDx talk. That's so, so, so amazing. And just you're doing amazing things. So yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And you guys as well, I think in terms of creating this, you know, podcast and just specializing, especially in this area, I think is key, especially for those who, again, are wanting to find out more, those who are very curious and maybe think that they might have some traits. Yeah. Um, these are the sort of opportunities that I think a lot of adult people didn't have when they were a bit yeah. younger. So I think yes. we are definitely carving out a great lane for you guys and um, oh, hopefully you. get more health professionals on here as well so that again we can give different perspectives people are suffering on both sides and and systems are stretched and everything else you know and that that's always been so important to us is we don't want to point the finger and say this is bad and people are doing this and that it's like we need to come together and and try and and make things better for everyone you know awareness understanding empathy everything some money would be nice too hey (laughs) yes that would be good that's coming (laughs) oh it's been so lovely thank you so much Thank, Thank you, lovely. You. Have a nice evening. You too. Take care. Thank okay, you so much. Bye, bye, bye. How lovely is she? She's so nice. What a legend. Yeah. What amazing work she's doing. Mm-hmm. Really, really Incredible. fantastic. So thank you so much, Jenny. Um, it was one of those, isn't it, where you have a conversation and then you reflect on it afterwards and you're like, oh, I wish I'd said this and I wish I'd said that. And yeah. it was very much that was the case with me because I think it was just like, as I've said in previous episodes, like my experience of getting diagnosed because of the privileged position I was in, having access to private healthcare through my husband, not through my own bloody merit, was like, you know, it actually was a very quick process. Yeah. And it was actually a very easy process. And obviously that's that's not Jenny's experience. And we have to honour that as well. It's just that I have that lived experience. Yeah. So I know that it doesn't need to be as complex. I feel that and I've experienced that so it's difficult and I think also um like when she mentioned people being more forthright and explaining their um symptoms I think on the one hand you've got anxiety people that can't advocate or speak up for themselves and on the other we know that loads of our listeners are totally clued up are going and giving bloody bullet points and and are not being believed well that's it and and are being shunned but again you know it's one of those oh I wish I'd said that moment but 
I'm, I really love that interview and I think she is a phenomenal and inspiring lady. Yeah, she really and is. And it was really great. So thank you so, so much, Jenny. And she's so young, so she's she's got so much ahead yeah, of her. She's got, she's taking over the world for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I look forward to it. Go on, Jenny. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so, so much. And we hope you enjoyed that. And it's nice. It's nice to, to yeah, have the opportunity to actually talk about hear about it from the other side isn't yeah. it and i think we're we're gonna look to speak to more people from the yeah. other side if you know any doctors psychiatrists anybody that you know that might want to talk about this with us then absolutely put them put them in touch with us send us send them our way because yeah we're, we're still learning that's the thing and it's got to be right is is this camp this compassion is key across the board mm-hmm. for people on both sides and particularly you know in the way that neurodivergent people are treated but also like we yeah we that's got to be the way forward is getting our heads together it has to be yeah it's it's two there are two things going on at the same time and they need to be understood and able to figure out a kind of decent way forward when people come together yeah things happen absolutely so why not why not at all so Don, what's the most adhd thing you've done this week what is the most adhd thing i've done this week well, I was started back at uni this week. Yes. And I got up on Monday, jumped in the shower because I was running late, obviously, obviously. to get in for 10. <laughs> and then text my mate who phoned me being like, why are you going in at this time? And then I was just like, well, I thought we were supposed to go in for 10. And she's like, oh, well, she's in a, she's in a slightly different class from me. So um, she was like, oh, no, we're not until the afternoon. And I was like, oh, maybe I should double check my timetable double checked my timetable and guess what i'm not until the afternoon either <laughs> so yeah i was i was a little bit too enthusiastic with getting ready because i just had it in my head that i was supposed to be in for 10 and clearly i wasn't so that's probably it for me hey, hey but is it good to be back at uni you happy to be back it's we yeah i am happy to be back but we've not really done much this week it's just been induction stuff so we'll really get stuck in next week yes Yes. Yeah, and I'm excited. That's really, really good. Yeah. Um, I don't really even know what mine is. I feel like I've just been like some kind of ADHD mess all week. I basically haven't been sleeping well at all. No. So I don't know why that's come back. I, sh- I shifted that a while ago. But yeah, I, it comes to bedtime and I'm just kind of wired and, and awake and thinking about things and I should do this and I should do that. And then I wake up wide awake at like five in the morning. And then I just, it has, a, I just think it's a cycle, isn't it? Cause it gets worse and worse because the less sleep you've had, the more of a zombie you are. And then yeah. you're doing less and then you don't sleep and it just goes on and on and on. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Not a very funny or exciting story, but I think it is the most ADHD thing that's been going on with me this week is yeah. sleep issues. Boo. Boo! We don't like those. No, we don't, but hey-ho. Um, but yeah, again, um, if you have enjoyed this episode, which we have, um, then we would really love it if you would, well, write us a review. That would be amazing. Yeah. Share it with somebody to give us some feedback on what you think. And we would really love you forever if you would make a donation to our Buy Me A Coffee page. So it's buymeacoffee.com forward slash ADHD as females. One coffee is the equivalent of five pounds and you can buy us one or you can buy us... Two (laughs) hundred! I was going to say 101, but why stop there? (laughs) 
and we really really appreciate the donations because we're working really hard behind the scenes to bring you some very very exciting things and you know what all this kind of business it costs money doesn't it it really does but bear with us it'll be worth it and um we really 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 appreciate your donations because we are working really hard yes so thank you very much Thank you. And is that everything this week? I think so. I think so as well. Yeah. So, bye. (laughs) You're going to say look after yourselves and each other. Compassion. We haven't said self-inventory for a little while. Yeah, that's Um, true. But, yeah, thank you so much for your support. It's it's a lot at the moment and we're we're sort of trying to figure out what's next for us. We're chipping away. It's a lot, but... There's good things coming and we really, really, really appreciate your support. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. Take care. Love bye. you. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. ADHD as females. ADHD as females. The podcast.